What could be worse than going to hell? What could be worse than going to hell? Well, believe it or not, there's something worse than just going to hell. The reason some are going to find hell more tolerable than others. Now, this surprising teaching actually comes from the lips of Jesus. And we learn of it when he reproached the cities to which most of his miracles were performed and witnessed. And we first read of it when he declared to Chorazin and Bethsaida that judgment would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than for them. Very interesting teaching we come to this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 22. Then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Chorazin and Bethsaida were cities near the Sea of Galilee. Chorazin was located some two and a half miles north of Capernaum in a valley that was inland from the sea. We know very little of Chorazin. But archaeologists had discovered remains of a Jewish synagogue made of black basalt or black lava stone in what they think was Chorazin. Now, we have no record of Jesus' visits to Chorazin except for this statement that it was one of three cities in which most of his miracles were performed. Now, the fact that we have no record of Jesus' activities there is not a problem, since John said at the close of his gospel, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. Bethsaida was a couple of miles east of Capernaum on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee where the Jordan River flows into it. It was a fishing port, and the name Bethsaida actually means house of fishing. It was the hometown of Peter and Andrew and Philip. Now, we have record of Jesus healing a blind man there, and it was not far from where he fed the 5,000. Apparently, he performed many other miracles there as well. But the miracles didn't have the desired effect. Jesus had come declaring, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the miracles were intended to affirm the authority of his message. Chorazin and Bethsaida didn't repent. 
So Jesus reproached them, saying, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, Tyre and Sidon were ancient Phoenician seaport cities on the Mediterranean. And neither were conquered by the Israelites during the time of Joshua. They remained Philistine cities and were a continual thorn in the side of Israel throughout most of their history. Hiram, a king of Tyre, had been friendly to David and Solomon, helping them procure materials for the temple. But for the most part, there had been great animosity between God's people and the pagans of Tyre and Sidon. Jezebel, Ahab's wicked queen who openly brought Baal worship into Israel, was the daughter of Ethbaal, king of Sidon. And during the time of Israel's captivity, the prophet Joel, on behalf of God, declared this, Moreover, what are you to me, O Tyre, Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you rendering me a recompense? But if you do recompense me, swiftly and speedily I will return your recompense on your head, since you've taken my silver and my gold, brought my precious treasures to your temples, and sold the sons of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their territory. Behold, I'm going to arouse them from the place where you sold them, and return your recompense on your head." Also, I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the sons of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a distant nation, for the Lord has spoken. The prophet Ezekiel had this to say to Tyre. Son of man, because Tyre has said concerning Jerusalem, Aha, the gateway of the peoples is broken. It is open to me. I shall be filled now that she is laid waste. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and I will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves, and they will destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. And I will scrape her debris from her and make her a bare rock. She will be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea. For I have spoken, declares the Lord God. And she will become a spoil for the nations. Also, her daughters who are on the mainland will be slain by the sword. And they will know that I am the Lord. Also, they will make a spoil of your riches and a prey of your merchandise, break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses, and throw your stones and your timbers and your debris into the water. So I will silence the sound of your songs, and the sound of your harps will be heard no more. And I will make you a bare rock. You will be a place for the spreading of nets. You will be built no more, for I, the Lord, have spoken, declares the Lord God. And that prophecy was fulfilled in part by Nebuchadnezzar when he began a 13-year siege of Tyre in 715 B.C. He wasn't able to destroy it, but he was able to subjugate it. 
Then in 332 B.C., Alexander the Great actually tore down the old city of Tyre that was built on the shore and used its rubble to build a causeway to the new city that had been built on an island, fulfilling even more of the prophecy. And then in 1291 A.D., Tyre was finally destroyed and reduced to a heap of stones that were carried away to build other cities. Today, it's a bare rock where fishermen's nets are spread. The king of Tyre was even used by Ezekiel to personify Satan. And it's from his lament in Ezekiel 28 that we learn of Satan's fall. Bottom line, Tyre and Sidon were evil, wicked, pagan cities that felt and would continue to feel the judgment of God. But Jesus said, if the miracles performed in Chorazin and Bethsaida had been performed there, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But he added, nevertheless, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. He also went on to say, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than Capernaum. Verses 23 and 24. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades, the grave. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Bethlehem was the birthplace of Jesus. And he was known as the Nazarene because he grew up in Nazareth. But only one city was referred to as Jesus' own city, Capernaum. For it was Capernaum that Jesus called home during his years of ministry. Now, it's doubtful that he actually owned a house there. He most likely lived with Peter in his house. But Capernaum was his home for at least a couple of years. You'd think Capernaum would have become famous as the home of Jesus, like Springfield is of Lincoln. But rather than being exalted to heaven as Jesus' own city, it descended to Hades. It died and was buried. Archaeologists have uncovered what they believe to be the synagogue where Jesus preached. But no one really knows for certain whether or not Telham is actually the site of Capernaum. Jesus said if the miracles that were performed in Capernaum had been performed in Sodom, it would have still been in existence in his day. And we all know what happened to Sodom and its twin city of Gomorrah. When ten righteous men couldn't be found in the city, 
And when the angelic messengers who had been sent to rescue Lot and his family were surrounded by homosexuals who wanted to sodomize them, God rained fire and brimstone on the city and completely destroyed it. Most believe it's now buried under the Dead Sea. Jesus declared, that the miracles performed in Capernaum had been done in Sodom, it would have escaped the fiery judgment of God. But he added again, Nevertheless, I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. More tolerable than for you. Let's focus on that for a moment. Obviously, Jesus isn't saying that Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum will be judged harsher than will Tyre and Sidon and Sodom. Well, he is saying that they will. The question is, why? Why will they be judged more harsher? The three cities in Galilee weren't nearly as wicked as were the pagan cities. So why would it be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom than Capernaum? That's like saying it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for a serial killer or a suicide bomber than for someone who went to Sunday school as a child and then lived a decent, reasonably moral life as an adult, but without Christ. How could that be? Why would hell be more tolerable for a depraved sociopath or a radically indoctrinated suicide bomber than for someone who grew up in a Christian environment but never became a Christian. Well, let's look again at the cities Jesus used to illustrate the point he was making and ask ourselves why the cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum would be judged more harshly than Tyre and Sidon and Sodom. Obviously, it wasn't because of their relative Wickedness. I believe it was because of the opportunities they'd been given. Chorazin and Bethsaida had witnessed the ministry and miracles of Jesus firsthand. And Capernaum had been his home. But Jesus indicated they would be judged because they didn't repent. Repent of what? They didn't crucify Jesus. All they did was ignore him. And the implications of his miracles. They had seen Jesus. They had heard Jesus. They had been healed by Jesus. They had even been home to Jesus. But they hadn't changed. They hadn't repented. They were still living for themselves, doing their own thing, minding their own business. 
The Son of God had been in their midst, but He hadn't made any difference in their lives. It was for that reason that they would be judged more harshly than would those in the wicked cities that had never been given the opportunity to know Jesus. Now, that's not to say that the wicked cities wouldn't have to pay for their sins. They did, and they would. But they would be condemned only because they violated the limited knowledge they had of God's will, not for rejecting Jesus. Paul made that principle clear in Romans. He said, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. What he's saying is that we will all be judged on the basis of the knowledge we have. And that makes God fair. Okay? We won't be judged for what we don't know. The bad news is that we're all condemned by our failure to live up to that which we do know. And apart from the grace of God, we would all be condemned eternally. Sodom was condemned because of its wickedness and Capernaum for its refusal to repent. Both were condemned. But the judgment against Sodom would be more tolerable than the judgment against Capernaum because Capernaum had been given more opportunities to know God and to know His will. In Luke 12, 47 and 48 we read, And the slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. And from everyone who has been given much shall much be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. The cities were being judged on the basis of the opportunities given to them. The same is true of individuals. If you have been given the opportunity to know Jesus, you've heard Him speak from His Word, you've seen Him perform miracles in the lives of those around you, and perhaps have even been the recipient of miracles yourself, but you've never repented of your self-deceived self-sufficiency, you would be better off to have never heard of him. The writer of Hebrews makes that abundantly clear. He says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony 
of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And is regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. That is why it's going to be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon and Sodom than for Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. That's why it will be more tolerable in hell for wicked pagans than for unrepentant churchgoers. Those who knowingly insult the Spirit of grace and trample underfoot the covenant made possible by the blood of Christ will face a most terrifying judgment. Punishment will be even more severe than that experienced by those who merely fail to live up to the laws that God gave to mankind. But how? How can it be more tolerable for some in hell than for others? How, how can that be? Hell is hell. How can it be more tolerable for some than for others? I think it's the same way heaven will be more rewarding for some than for others. You know, over the years, I've explained degrees of reward in heaven with the analogy of Howard Reuters, who was chairman of the fine arts at Lincoln Land and an accomplished musician, and me going to a symphony. You know, even if I loved it, I wouldn't be able to appreciate it to the degree Howard would have, because I don't know music like Howard did. I may come out and say, wow, that was good. And he starts saying, well, did you hear this and that? And did you note this and whatever? And I'm going, huh? His depth of appreciation would have been amazingly deeper and fuller than mine. You know, I think the same will be true of rewards in heaven. Those who have grown closest to Jesus on earth and have become most like Him will be able to enter into deeper fellowship with Him in heaven than will those who barely know Him. They'll both be in heaven, but one will appreciate it more than the other. That makes sense to me. That's why I want to be more like Jesus day and day and day in and day after day. Because the more I'm like Him, the more we'll have to share. The more I know of Him, the more I've experienced of Him, the more we'll have together in heaven. And the deeper will be my joy in heaven. <laughs> Scott said something the other day I thought was funny in our Sunday night study. He said, I really want to get to know these characters in the Bible because I don't want to get to heaven and say, who's that? 
<laughs> I loved it, Scott. I loved it. <laughs> the more we understand, the more joy will be ours. That's why we don't just barely want to make it to heaven. It has nothing to do with how many stars we're going to wear or how big our apartment's going to be in the mansions of glory. It has to do with the relationship we've built with God and His people and His Son here on earth. That's what's going to make heaven amazingly wonderful for us. Well, I think a similar thing, perhaps an opposite thing, will be true of judgment. You know, all of those who are outside of Christ will be condemned. But those who had the opportunity to know Him, who grew up in a Christian society, perhaps even in a Christian home, even going to church, but never repented, were never really changed by Him, will find hell even less tolerable than will those who don't know what they've missed. Why? Regrets. Regrets. Regrets can make all the difference in the world, and regrets will make all the difference in hell. To know what you could have had if only you had embraced that which was made available to you in life will make the punishment of hell far worse than it will be for those who have no idea what they could have had. I pray you'll not have regrets in eternity. I pray you'll not have regrets for not becoming more like Jesus on earth so you can fellowship more intimately with Him in heaven. And I certainly pray that you'll not have regrets in hell for failing to take advantage of the opportunities you had in life to come into a saving relationship with the Son of God and to be changed by Him. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to surrender to His Lordship. Now is the time to enter into a personal relationship with the Son of God. Do it now, and you'll have no regrets in eternity. Let's stand.